Welcome to Establish the Edge. I am your host, Mike Leone, back with another episode. Make sure you're checking us out on the iTunes podcast feed. You can also check out the video version on the Establish the Run YouTube channel. I've been doing a lot of best ball content, some dynasty content. Going to mix it up today and start taking our first look at home leagues. It's a little bit early for that. I know it's end of June right now. Most home leagues aren't going to get started until August, but I do think uh, there's some benefit to just getting a grasp of what the landscape looks like this year. Um, One, how does it change from last year? And two, if you are someone that does play the best ball leagues, you know, it can be a real big shift into that home league. I know last year I struggled the first home league I did. I really kind of blew because I had such a best ball mindset and yeah, I wasn't really familiarized enough with the ADP. So it's good to take a look at that. Our rankings on Establish the Run, if you look at our generic PPR, half, and standard ranks, uh, that's going to have the Fantasy Pros ADP in there, which is much more indicative of a home league ADP. And I brought Mark Dinkenbring, who helps me on the projections back end for ETR, to talk through this. And we're going to look at some of those ADP differentials between best ball and what we're seeing early on in home leagues. And yeah, really just see where we think the biggest edge is and how to maximize it. So thanks for joining me, Mark. For sure. Yeah, it's always fun to talk home leagues and uh, just redraft style. You know, right now, especially in in May and June, we're in this little bubble of best of the best ball streets and, you know, kind of analysts that are doing it full time and, and really in the weeds. And But redraft fantasy football is, you know, kind of where it all started for me, at least. And I have a lot more experience there. And then just talking to, you know, friends over the summer, they want, they want to know who to draft. And in the first round, I uh, was on a trip and and someone said, if I have the first overall pick, who am I taking Derek Henry? And uh, I was like, Oh, you know, just, uh, just, (laughs) you just get a little taken aback by, you know, being in this bubble and then um, now getting into redraft season. So pumped to talk with you about it. Um, You know, I think there are some interesting edges that, that we can attack and some stuff we can take over from, best ball, but also, you know, some unique things just to redraft and how we want to construct our rosters. So excited to get into it. Yeah. As far as housekeeping, what type of league we're looking at, uh, we're going to look at our PPR rankings. I think most leagues have shifted to at least half PPR, if not full PPR. And we're going to assume a roster setup somewhat similar to one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, one flex, one kicker, one defense, and six bench spots. That's what our rankings for these leagues are tailored off of. And you know, we'll go through like how to utilize the ETR rankings to maximize your draft, but also, you know, where you can deviate. And I think one of the big things, I mean, there's so many big differences between best ball and managed, but for me, because there's more areas where I think we have an edge on player takes in home leagues versus in best ball where the ADP is really sharp. Like having an understanding of the full draft is going to affect what you do early to an extent. Whereas best ball, sometimes it's the opposite for me. I'm kind of taking value early and then I'm morphing the rest of my draft around that to get the correct roster construction. Um, so, so that's something to keep in mind here. And I guess we'll start off with the first round, Mark. Uh, your buddies are asking you who to take in the first round. And for me, I think it's not Jonathan Taylor who's going to be, you know, the clear consensus pick. I think in most home leagues, I don't even have Taylor in my top four uh, right now for home leagues. So how do you see if you've got a a pick early on in the first round, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm kind of still on team uh, Christian McCaffrey. If you have 
the number one pick at this point. I just think the upside that he can provide you, especially in PPR leagues is, is just astronomical. Um, and, you know, obviously we're, we're a little worried about the injury concerns there, but just the ceiling he provides you uh, is, you know, league winning upside kind of at that number one pick. And, and we've seen him separate, you know, so much from the field in, in 2019, putting up almost 30 PPR points per game, which is just mind boggling. So, you know, I'm still kind of in, in his camp as the top overall pick. Um, and then, you know, I, th- I think just overall kind of in the first round, typically I think running backs just tend to go off the board uh, quicker, you know, especially in the home leagues I, I play and people do want to anchor their team with a top running back. Um, so, you know, I'm a little more inclined to, to try and kind of go on that train and, and take a running back in the first rounds or depending on how the, how the board falls towards the end, you know, if you're in the back half, lining up uh, one anchor wide receiver, which we'll, we'll talk about and then tacking on a running back after that. But in home leagues, you know, I, I typically do try and kind of just follow, follow my league and the draft board a bit and, and take running backs a little bit earlier than I might in best ball leagues. Yeah. It, it's tough for me because I think, I think I'm more willing to take a running back very early in home league than best ball leagues, but then I'm, much less likely to take a running back in the subsequent rounds than I am in best ball leagues, uh, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Where I think the importance in home league is you have a chance to build a super team if you really have an edge in terms of ADP values. And even though we know there's a lot of risk in early running back picks, the best way to get an elite running back season is to draft a running back early. That's a fact, you know, from an upside standpoint, even though the risk. So I do like saying, hey, I'll use one of my running back spots on that. Uh, but then I'll be willing to play it, you know, fast and loose to my second running back spot, which is, you know, gives us the hero RB strategy. Uh, so I'm with you with CMC up top. He's in my top four for me. He just has that ability, I think, to have that season that blows all the running backs out of the water. Whereas Jonathan Taylor, even last year for like as absurdly as efficient as he is, he didn't necessarily do that um, because the pass catching just isn't there for him at the same level. And mm-hmm. It, you know, I don't. I don't think we have that huge legendary season for Jonathan Taylor. I think Naheem Hines is going to be involved all year long. Obviously, an injury could happen to Hines, but I think even if that happened, there's a chance that somebody else would take the third down duties or at least split them with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but past CMC, what I see with running back, I think a lot of the backs at like the two three turn or at the end of round two. They don't feel that that different to me than the rest of the backs in the first round. Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm going to, if I'm not getting CMC, I'm going to a wide receiver. And the three for me, Mark, I think Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, clear top three. Just did a show with Pat Mayo uh, talking through wide receiver rankings and tiers. And I would have Devontae Adams as a fourth in that tier, I think. But he's sort of like a tweener tier for me where I think he's like behind the tier one guys and mm-hmm. ahead of the tier two guys. I know Silva is a little bit more down on him. He has some wide receiver seven or eight in his top 150. Um, but yeah, those top three guys, I mean, Cooper Cup, the combination of target share, red zone roll, catch rate. I mean, he's, he's catching over 70% of his passes, three straight seasons. You put that all together. It's just very hard for him to have a bad season. And the injury yeah. rates are going to be lower for him than the running backs. And then with Chase and Jefferson, two uniquely talented young players who already have elite production on their resumes. Uh, You just don't want to overthink 
the talent and the production already at that age for those guys. So that's sort of my top four is CMC and those three wide receivers with JT and Devonte Adams just behind. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, every, every day that goes by, I'm getting more and more excited about Justin Jefferson was reading some articles yesterday about it just because, you know, he, I think he's firmly number two for me over Jamar chase there, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of unavoidable to, you know, have Cooper cup number one, just based on projections, you know, for how last season went and, and looking at the LA offense there with Matthew Stafford and, you know, Robert Woods is gone. Obviously they brought in Allen Robinson, but not too much, you know, it's, it's not like any added target competition there for him, but in terms of Justin Jefferson, um, you know, I was reading an article about how Mike Zimmer and, and the coaching staff in Minnesota, they just, they, they didn't really fully unleash Kirk cousins and, and, kind of saw him as more of a game manager and not an elevator of teammates and talents. Whereas Kevin O'Connell, who's, who's worked with Kirk cousins in the past um, and is, you know, kind of can accentuate his talents a bit more and obviously will will air the ball out a little bit more. So I'm just, you know, extremely excited about Justin Jefferson uh, talks about him getting in the slot a, a little bit more, um, which we know, you know, leads to higher percentage uh, catch rates and uh, or higher catch rates and, and just, uh, you know, a, a better ability to get open in the middle of the field. So very excited about him. And then, as you mentioned with Devonte Adams, just some holes you can poke there with the change to Las Vegas, new quarterback, uh, new coaching staff there with Josh McDaniels, you know, some, some more target competition than we've seen from him in green Bay there with Darren Waller and, and Hunter Renfro available. So um, kind of very interested to see how that plays out. And then, yeah, Jamar chase is, is just uh, so dynamite. Um I, I would be potentially uh, tempted to take Stefan Diggs over Devontae Adams at this point with how things have fallen in Buffalo. I'm, I'm really excited about Diggs again this year and, and kind of think he should be locked into the first round, especially in, you know, these PPR three wide receiver formats that we're discussing. Yeah. And that brings us to, if you don't get an early pick and the, you know, the guys that we mentioned go, which even if you have a mid first round pick, you might be able to get one of, you know, Chase or Jefferson, just if people are loaded up on running backs with Taylor and CMC likely going, it's possible. But end of the first round mark, I think Diggs, who you mentioned, Adams, if he's there, you know, right away, we see the ADP is already shifting from best ball where Devonte Adams has a 10.8 ADP. And then after that, Diggs is into the second round. CD Lamb's like middle of the second round. You know, we're not seeing mm-hmm. that in best ball. And I do think I'd like to get one of those three. You know, let's say Adams is off the board, one of Diggs Lamb at the one two turn, pairing them with a running back. Uh, because their running back ADPs are more aggressive, it's going to be tough for you to get that hero running back strategy if you wait to the end of the third round. So you almost have to do it at the one two turn if you're if you're really hung on that strategy. Uh, we'll talk through some pseudo zero running back candidates like Brees Hall a little bit later that you could do if you do choose to go wide receiver heavy early. The guy I'm curious your take on at the one, two turn is Kelsey, who's somewhat interesting to me in home leagues where I feel like in home leagues, I'm more likely to kind of want to push my edge uh, or not push my edge, but like be aggressive at the onesie positions because I can outdraft people at other positions but there's nobody I'm going to take late that can match a Travis Kelsey tight end season. Like Mike Jasicki not going to, you know, even if I get him at value, um, this gives me my best chance at a super team. So I do struggle with, okay, I want to draft a running back at the one, two turn. If I do that, then am I pairing that with Kelsey or am I pairing that with Diggs or Lamb? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one-two turn there with Kelsey is is a little tricky. Um, you know, I, I do like to prioritize the onesie positions. I, I've been doing that a little bit more the last year or two in home leagues. And I really like it because it offers you so much flexibility with your bench. You know, like if you get Kelsey, you don't have to worry about drafting another tight end. And then you can just continue to load up on those high upside running backs or wide receivers on your bench. And it's just really, you know, it's kind of a free feeling for with bye weeks now pushback, you know, the first buys are in, in week six now that you can, you know, have Kelsey on your roster. And if, if an emerging tight end comes out in the first, you know, three to four weeks, then maybe you can insulate your roster there a bit. But I think, you know, in the draft, I, I love getting these elite tight ends, Uh, So I don't have to draft another one and and can focus on the other position groups and kind of similar vibe with quarterback. But, um, you know, at the one, two turn there, like I'd be fine taking Kelsey and a running back. I think Um, it does depend, you know, the, the guys I think we'll hit on soon, like Aaron Jones, Fournette Barkley that are kind of going at the end of the second round. Those are the guys I agree with you that, that don't seem too different than, you know, a guy like Joe Mixon or uh, even Nick Chubb that are going kind of closer to the end of the first. Um, but yeah, if it, if it gets towards the, towards the end of the third, that is hard to get, you know, a running back. I'd rather go running back tight end, I think, to start if you were to go with Kelsey and then try and scoop, you know, some of the, some of the wide receivers uh, in the third round. But it is a little risky. You can set yourself up to, to be in a spot where, you know, you might be have to take like a DJ Moore or Jalen Waddle or someone we're kind of above consensus on there at the three, four turn. It does get a little trickier. Yeah. The third, fourth rounds, that fourth round in particular feels tricky. And that's where I think one of the bigger differences from last year is we just really mm-hmm. felt uber confident in the wide receiver depth and upside from rounds three through six last year. Um, I think in home leagues, it was like all the way through round six and best ball leagues last year, sometimes because it was wide receiver heavy drafts after you got past the middle of round five, it got dicey, but this year it feels a little bit dicier starting right away in round four. And, um, you know, that's shaping a little bit how we're going to do things. And uh, part of the reason why I do want to make sure to grab, if I'm at the top of the draft, I'd rather take some of those wide receivers over Jonathan Taylor. Then you look mm-hmm. at the two, three turn. You hit on Aaron Jones and Saquon Barkley. I'd throw Leonard Fournette in that mix. Those guys right now have ADPs between 22 and 26. So one of those three should be available at the two-three turn. And these are the guys that, you know, CMC uh, doesn't make it through a season healthy. Any of these guys, you know, can beat Jonathan Taylor. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's crazy at all. They all have a serious leg up on Jonathan Taylor in terms of pass catching ability for net. If we just felt better about his talent, quite frankly, he would be you know, possibly a top three pick not to over-exaggerate, but I mean, we, th- this offense just churns out running back fantasy points. They get passing touches. They get goal line touches. We saw it in the playoff game. The two playoff games last year were nuts. Uh, the Fournette was out the first one, and Keyshawn Vaughn and Giovanni Bernard combined for a forty-plus spot. And then Fournette comes back and puts up thirty-five, you know, by himself. So it's just it's insane. I think Aaron Jones could be unleashed in the passing game because they might not have a choice with Devonte Adams gone. And then Barkley, obviously, there's some health risk there, but. We like the talent at one point was at least there. It's not like he's old. It's just he's 
it's just been up and down inconsistent start to his career. And I think it's a really plus EV coaching change. So I'm pretty into getting, um, I think it's very easy to get one of these backs of the two, three turn to be your hero running back. And again, um, with the exception of CMC, I don't think you've sacrificed much on ceiling, maybe on floor, but on ceiling, I don't think you've sacrificed much at all at the running back position. Definitely. And I, and I think things continue to break well for Fournette uh, with Gronk retiring, that should open up some more red zone looks and, and uh, you know, you're, you're great at kind of uh, highlighting the high value touches that running backs can get. And I think Fournette is, is kind of the king of that at this point in that we know Tom Brady is going to check down consistently to him. We saw that, you know, throughout all of last year. And then the red zone looks should continue to go to Fournette as well, kind of with, um, you know, Chris Godwin out of the mix there early on. And so I think Fournette is, is great. Um, and then Saquon, like just – you know, we see so many, so many backs in a committee or at least have more of a threat to their workload. And Saquon's kind of one of those lone guys that I don't really know if we're worried about anyone. Um, obviously Matt Breida is there and comes over kind of with Dayball from Buffalo. So we'll probably spell him on some third downs, but for the most part, you know, outside of Derrick Henry, he's got some of the the clearest path to, mm-hmm. you know, full workload there. So I think, I think those are great picks at the two, three turn. And um, you know, just another reason why drafting high this year, I, th- I think is a strong advantage because once kind of you get towards the end of the third round, that's, that's where the decisions be become a little, you know, trickier and not a, you, you, you can't feel as confident about the floor and upside that you're getting from those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where you do have a chance to get a little bit lucky just because the running back ADPs are more aggressive in these home leagues. And you really start to feel that after kind of that trio that we mentioned mm-hmm. Um, when you start seeing, you know, Javante Williams, Nick Chubb in the top 20, you know, James Conner, I guess he's going to the third there, but you see Zeke in the third. Like we're not seeing that really in best ball. We're not really seeing, we're seeing Cam Akers more in the fourth round. Um, David Montgomery's going middle of the third round. Like these are guys that become easy passes for me. You know, Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson in the early fourth. So that's going to push down some wide receivers. Some of the guys that we're fans of, um, between our projection ranks and Silva's top 150, <clears throat> excuse me, but T Higgins, Mike Evans in particular, like I'm not taking Saquon over Mike Evans in best ball and redraft manage. I probably am, but I'm very hopeful. I can get Mike Evans around three, be pumped with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Williams. And then at the, if those guys go, like those are the screaming values, but Mark, you hit on it. Like if they go, you do still sort of have the DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, kind of looking at this at home ADP, Travis Etienne is, is, uh, towards like the end of the fourth round. So, um, you know, in best ball, I've, I've seen him started to go some, sometimes in the third round, people are really starting to buy into him. So, you know, in a, in a PPR league kind of towards the end of the third, hopefully that holds up, uh, again, we're talking at the end of June here. Um, you know, his ADP is, is around 47 and we have him ranked 33rd. So I think that could be, you know, someone, someone to target, as long as his ADP holds mm-hmm. a little bit there in the fourth rounds, um, love what we're seeing there from him in training camp and, you know, James Robinson coming off a, a late torn Achilles, like who knows kind of when he'll be back and, and, uh, what role he'll play under this new regime. So I think ETN is a great target there. And then curious your, your takes on, we, we saw, uh, Terry McLaurin just sign his big contract yesterday. Kind of curious your takes on him. I, I, I struggle 
just, uh, you know, with, with Carson Wentz going there and kind of where he's falling, he's not a priority for me at this point, but he's so talented. Um, you know, do you feel confident if he was kind of your wide receiver one, or are you, are you definitely trying to make him a wide receiver two with upside? I would not feel confident if he was my wide receiver one in a home league. You know, I, I yeah. want some more upside. I think he's, you know, a fourth round draft pick and you should definitely have taken one wide receiver in the first three rounds. Maybe yeah. that's paired with the, you know, a tight end and a running back and he could be wide receiver too. But I, I think ideally like to get two wide receivers in, in these first three rounds. And you actually hit a spot in the draft where I think the wide receivers are break even value. So they're fine. And I'd include McLaurin in that bunch, but I also include Deontay Johnson, Michael Pittman will note that Silva is much higher than us on, I think maybe uh, than the projections team on Michael Pittman. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- maybe that's a guy that you feel more comfortable with, but in general, I don't see a huge drop off through some of the values that go in rounds five through eight at wide receiver. And this is where I think having a good grasp on what's going to happen to your draft allows you to do some other things early. So if I'm in that fourth round where I think these guys are fine, I might actually deviate from wide receiver and some of the the detours that I would be taking in the draft at that point would be youth running backs. You hit on ETN. I'm glad you brought him up because I've been saying how the ADP at running backs is more aggressive in these home leagues, but it's a certain type of running back in general. It's the guys that basically had jobs and stayed healthy last year really get overvalued. And it's the guys that are coming off injury or are younger and more uncertain spots that are undervalued. I think mm-hmm. JK Dobbins coming off injury, going at the four or five turn undervalued Brees Hall, going in the beginning of the fifth round, pretty undervalued because of day one role. ETN, again, at the end of the fourth round, undervalued. So if you did go super heavy receiver early or like you're at that one-two turn and you're like, I'm going to take Kelsey and Diggs because I just I don't want to take Joe Mixon here, um, that's fine. You can get Brees Hall at the at the uh, four five or at the three-four turn or probably would want to do a little bit later, but... Um, point being that you're going to have some options to make that up and still do that, take that swing at the one running back spot, having a lot of upside. And I'm pretty pro taking a quarterback early again, Mm -hmm. getting greedy in, in home leagues, get greedy because what we're seeing at quarterback the last two years is there's a segment of quarterbacks whose upside just can't be matched by later round picks. It just, it can't happen. Like there might be a wide receiver, like Traylon Burks could break out and be an absolute stud wide receiver who's going in the first few rounds next year and matches Deontay Johnson, matches mm-hmm. Terry McLaurin. But there's not a universe where Kirk Cousins can match Jalen Hurts, like at least in terms of a ceiling outcome for the season. It right. just by the archetype of player, it's impossible. So that's where I know generally we're saying like one of the big mistakes is casuals make is they take a quarterback too early. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I want a top 10 quarterback this year. The few I had pegged, I wrote an article about this on site, but the guys that I had pegged at quarterback that seemed like they came at pretty reasonable tags, Lamar Jackson with an ADP of 53, Kyler at 62 Hertz at 72 Lance at 111 seems super juicy Brady yeah. at 90. Um, but at any point, if I get stuck, I might just take, you know, the best quarterback available. And I think, you know, starting the fourth round, if it's like Josh Allen or someone, maybe that's even possible. I know that seems a little too early. Yeah, I typically 
want to get to the fifth round before I, I start considering a quarterback. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of like my, my artificial threshold at this point, obviously it's not completely set in stone, but I agree w- with you on wanting to be on, you know, one of the top eight to 10 guys, or uh, at least a dual threat quarterback, like, like Trey Lance, who's going outside the, the top 10 in home leagues right now, but has that very strong upside. Um, and again, kind of how I stress with, with tight end and the optionality it gives you in your roster, you know, you can just draft one quarterback and, not have to worry about it uh, until, you know, whatever week seven, eight, nine, or, you know, where, whenever their buy is. And so I think that gives you just such an advantage early in the season to be able to act quickly on, you know, a, a running back injury or just a, you know, a, a wide receiver that's getting more playing time than we were anticipating initially, or, you know, all, all the things that we learned in, in weeks one and two that we weren't anticipating, you can immediately act on and, and kind of churn just the bottom of your roster without having to, you know, hold on to uh, two lower tier quarterbacks and, and kind of mix and match week in and week out. So I think Lamar at this point is is probably my top target. Just looking at these home league ADPs, um, just think obviously the rushing floor he gives you is is elite, and um, you know the the offense there with with Bateman and Andrews. Like you know if you if you did want to stack in home leagues or uh, you know those are two great guys to pair him with. So. Um, I, I'm with you on, on taking the elite QB. I just think it, you know, really, really helps settle you down. And, uh, and I agree that kind of at this point in, in home leagues, you know, I feel more confident building out a strong high upside bench and, and being more comfortable taking these early round quarterbacks and then, and feeling comfortable, you know, kind of rounding out my roster throughout the rest of the draft. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages too, to not having, you know, a robust running back draft and not having a lot of risk in the running back position and playing like the hero running back strategy where you're playing super fast and loose with that RB2 spot is you only need to draft one, maybe two running backs in the first nine to 10 rounds. And that allows you to be strong at wide receiver while still taking swings at an elite onesie position. Like this is how we build the absolutely dominant teams that have an amazing combination of four and ceiling for you. But we do Mm -hmm. still want to win the flex with wide receivers because full PPR league, wide receivers at every point in the draft pretty much are going to outscore running backs in, in full PPR. If you look at where the ADP is, thankfully, Mark, there are a bunch of wide receivers this year that we're just like really off from the market on. And, and again, these home league ADPs are going to change a ton, but I don't think it's going to change so drastically to totally metamorphosize like what the draft looks like. Because right mm-hmm. now we've got you know Juju Smith-Schuster like 18 spots ahead of positional ADP. We've got Jerry Judy, Amon Ross St. Brown, like way ahead. We've got, um, you know, Cortland Sutton, Gabriel Davis, like some of these huge yeah. breakout guys. You just mentioned Rashad Bateman as a stack candidate. We've got him. The, like, There's a lot of options that you're going to be able to weigh. And we also, in general, too, just value wide receiver more than the running back. So even positionally, if a guy's not a value, uh, we're going to have the wide receiver 22 ranked earlier than what the, whatever the ADP wide receiver 22 is, even though we have mm-hmm. them ranked the same positionally. So I just think rounds five through eight ish, you're going to be able to get a ton of wide receiver depth that has, you know, legitimate ceiling. Uh, the question is, of course, you know, people that are more staunchly zero running back will wonder if you've only taken one or two at that point, you know, they, they just kind of want so many wide receivers. They, they basically, the goal of a zero running back team is to have, you know, four top 10 to 15 wide receivers on your team. I think what we're saying is to ease off that expectation a little bit 
still anchor your team with some wide receivers, still get in a ton of upside, uh, but take on a little bit more risk at the back end of your wide receiver in order to have the elite ceiling at some other positions that you just can't really make up for through smart drafting later. Whereas wide receiver, you might you might be able to get lucky. Traylon Burks, Drake London, the rookies, again, um, youth is just kind of really undervalued uh, in these types of leagues because I think certainty is overrated in casual leagues for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting just looking at where we're at compared to ADP, pretty much, pretty much the only receiver we're behind on and you know, kind of like the 15 to 30 range is Michael Thomas. We're about 10 spots below ADP on him. And and that's again, where, you know, name recognition and kind of past fantasy value is kind of vaulting him up the board and, and home leagues. And, um, you know, like the younger guys uh, that haven't necessarily proven it, or just people think are uninteresting, you know, we're kind of right in line with like Brandon cooks who people are, might be tired of drafting Darnell Mooney, who, you know, stepping into a big role, Hunter Renfro, who, you know, any, any casual fan is not really going to want to draft. It seems like, so I'm going to get sky more in one of my auction home leagues for $2. Yeah. Uh You you know, and, and I mean, again, sometimes I think best ball goes too far with players like this. Like I did the same thing last year. I got Terrace Marshall and Rondell Moore for like a combined $2 and uh, it it didn't really (laughs) help my team at all. But just to, just for that framework, like it's totally like, this is a guy that's, his home league ADP right now is 144. You know, this is a guy that was going in the seventh round at times. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's just a different world um, out there for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it is hard to, and we're talking about a league, you know, where we're filling 16 roster spots and two of those are a kicker and a defense. So it's like, you know, compared to best ball drafts where we're drafting 18 or 20, you know, just all quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end to, to whittle that down to 14. Uh, and, you know, the format we're discussing is, is almost difficult. Like I, I always find myself in home leagues at the end of drafts, just wanting to stockpile kind of all these high upside guys that, that we've liked in best ball. So, um, you know, I, I like to be aggressive in, in the early rounds and know that the value is going to fall, you know, once we get to the ninth, 10th and, you know, so on from there. Yeah. So, the way I summed it up in my article was first nine rounds, I probably want six wide receivers, two, two early, two in the first three rounds about, mm-hmm. um, and then build a lot of depth and upside in that range we just hit on rounds five through eight. I want at least one elite onesie, um, either mm-hmm. quarterback or tight end. I think you're, I think you need a, one of those positions. I think you want someone that's just going to not be able to be matched by someone else's 10th round pick. Um and then at running back, the hero running back strategy, I think makes the most sense. Um, either taking that hero running back at the top of the draft, we hit on those pockets or um, some of the undervalued youth. It's possible to take two running backs too. I think like if you really like uh, someone like Brees Hall, who could be a league winner down the stretch falls, you can take him as an RB too. Uh, we also didn't hit on like Kenneth Walker, Tony Pollard, but those types too. Uh, Silva's really big on Miles Sanders. Some of these other backs that, are a good combination of you can start them week one, but they have a lot of growth potential over the course of the season. And you don't really have to use a dead zone running back pick on them. You know, they're kind of coming after the running back dead zone work. Once we get outside that first nine rounds or so, Mark strategy changes a little bit. Two things I want to talk about one, like if you did miss out on elite quarterback, what to do. 
And two, like, what do we do at running back knowing that we've gone light? So let's start at quarterback. You know, what do you like to do? Let's say it just didn't work out, you know, real QB hungry room and you didn't get one of those top 10 quarterbacks. Any, so, how are you combating that with the way you're drafting? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're a little further away from the season at this point, but uh, kind of when home league drafts are going on, I, I definitely like to map out kind of like a softer, you know, start to the season. And in, in terms of like, if we're looking at a, a, a pocket passer, um, like a Derek Carr or, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Um, this year there's, there's, I think there's two key candidates that can kind of be later or available in the double digit rounds that we're going to be really high on. And that's Trey Lance and Daniel Jones. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine kind of waiting on those guys and being able to scoop them up there in the double digit rounds. But I certainly, you know, my list gets a lot smaller than, in best ball where you can feel comfortable drafting, you know, three potentially mediocre quarterbacks versus, you know, two elite ones that, that we feel good about each and every week. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, just kind of target a couple guys that uh, you want to wait on. And especially if you missed out. Um, and again, like there's, you know, I feel comfortable filling in the running back and wide receiver positions a, a little better. And, and so quarterback, I'm willing to be more aggressive on and, and kind of choose above ADP. If I feel strongly and have missed out on that top, top tier of guys, I, I would really like to target uh, Trey Lance again. And then Daniel Jones, um, I think will consistently be above ADP on, on those two guys. Yeah. I mean, I think Lance almost counts as a top 10 quarterback for me. I think yeah. the, the upside there, there's a little bit more risk, but um, that's mitigated in a managed league too, especially at where his ADP is at. Love the Daniel Jones call. I think you're, you know, if you're taking lead quarterback, as Mark said, you can only draft one and then just take more gambles and lottery tickets at other positions. If you don't get one though, then I am probably taking two. So uh, I'd also throw in like Justin Fields, Tua, mm -hmm. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, these young quarterbacks that I think have a bit more upside if it breaks right. Those are big ifs, but you know some of those situations, like with Tua and Wilson in particular, they're surrounded by a, a lot of talent. Like those teams have brought in talent with Fields, we can see the rushing upside, and then Lawrence is sort of like middle between those profiles. But those are the guys I want to take a chance on. I think it's a little bit harder than in the past to um, kind of play this streaming game, um, For sure. just because. You know, teams kind of they do what they do now, so to speak. Like it's, it's more like the offense dictating than the defense is dictating. Um, so, would rather Curious, take a chance on upside. Curious your thoughts on Zach Wilson. Um, we're currently above ADP on him, and I know in a lot of best ball, like we're just uh, it seems like above ADP on all of the Jets, uh, you know, passing game components. So, um, are you like? you know, somewhat excited about him at all as, as kind of a stash, or are you just hoping he's, he's functional enough to, you know, support the wide receivers and running backs and, and not necessarily targeting him as, as you would like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, it's a combination. Like he, I think he's going to run a little bit more than he did last year, started to show it a little bit at the end of last season. And then, but you said like the other pieces were all high on, um, it's because there's a lot of talent there, quite frankly. I mean, we've got Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, who mm -hmm. like we loved Elijah Moore last year, and it looked like the breakout was happening, and then he got hurt, unfortunately. Garrett Wilson's a prospect we loved who came in. So with our projections too, as you know, Mark, we're we're layering upside cases for players too. So it's like probably not all these jets are gonna be ADP. 
but individually all of them have upside to you know be really profitable picks because they're talented and that even flows through to Corey davis who's he's not old like he's he's still in like the talent of his peak years he was Mm -hmm. a top prospect and he's been good like he hasn't been bad he's been good so him as a wide receiver three like there's just a lot to like here you throw in Brees hall who was in our eyes the clear rb1 in this draft class for uh, an all-purpose back so uh yeah it's the it could get derailed if Wilson is just as bad as he might be. And uh, to be very clear, that's possible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it did not look good last year, but if he's even average, this offense should be, it should be clicking just because of the, the skill level talent that they have. For sure. And, um, you know, like Justin Fields, obviously his rushing floor kind of, I think puts him in a little bit of a different category, but right now, uh, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, going about 50 spots ahead of Zach Wilson, uh, in ADP. And, and, you know, I think those guys kind of have potentially similar trajectories. Obviously Trevor Lawrence, we're a lot more confident in as a prospect and just his overall talent, but certainly the surrounding cast for Wilson, I think is a little bit more exciting despite, you know, all the wide receivers that the Jags brought in in free agency. So the final thing that we're doing, Mark is we've, you know, we've played it pretty loose at RB two. I think in these home leagues, what's nice is you don't really have to draft the boring startable guys that sometimes you might need if you've taken uh, an RB lax approach in best ball. You need the James White, JD McKissicks just to give you some sort of weekly floor. Mm-hmm. Those guys are quite often available on the wire when you're talking a much shorter bench and you're talking opponents that have prioritized running back much more than you throughout the draft. They don't necessarily have a need for these types of players. So a uh, situation where they become available to you, which in the draft allows you, especially if your drafts like quite a distance from the season, like if it's in early August, even mid August, we can take swings on handcuff running backs and running backs with pure upside and not mm-hmm. care at all what the floor is. Um, and for me, like a guy like, you know, a couple guys like Tyrion Davis Price, Isaiah Spiller, Alexander Madison, we've been behind the market on them in best ball because I think that floor aspect matters a little bit more and that's being baked in. In redraft, I would bump those guys up ahead of our ranks. I know you and Jack have worked on a running back article and we've all worked on it as a team that we have up um, that basically spells out your late round running back targets. And I honestly think once we get past like RB 30 or so, People should almost gravitate towards that article because it's more based on archetype and what's fitting in for your team than it is on the, the pure ranking. Um, so when you're talking pure upside, like Madison Spiller and Tyrion Davis Price, they get a boost over you know some of the past catching backs. So um, that's my biggest takeaway at running back is stockpile. Like try to hit home runs for those bench pieces, knowing that you're going to be able to plug and play on a weekly basis in your actual RB2 starting spot. Hundred percent, yeah, in total agreement there. And um, you know, s- certain backs like Naheem Hines and McKissick, as you mentioned, like in best ball, we get the benefit of of not really having to predict game script and certain games where the Colts fall behind and Naheem Hines is out there a lot more and, and catching balls. You know that that just that score gets naturally input into your lineup. But 
you know, in redraft, that's so much harder than to try and guess the week where he's going to be utilized more or score the, you know, touchdown or two and things along those lines. So I, I completely agree with you on, on just trying to stash the high upside, you know, more handcuff type of profile backs. Um, Daryl Henderson comes in the mind as someone, you know, I'd be excited to draft in, in case, uh, and kind of get a little bit of both there where maybe Cam Akers mm-hmm. doesn't get, you know, a full workload. And so Henderson could be somewhat usable in the, you know, RB2 spot just right off the bat. Or, you know, if, if Akers goes down, then, you know, he's got a pretty clear path to being the workhorse there. So, um, you know, and again, like uh, just keeping that bottom of the roster flexible for whatever, you know, there with, with bye weeks not starting until week six, there's going to be players that go down um, that you can take advantage of. And, you know, especially in, in leagues, if you, if you operate on a fab free agent budget, um, you know, I, I just really like to stash just all the high upside guys and then, you know, kind of more handcuff uh, type of stuff and, and hope I get the one, you know, whose starter goes down. But if not, you know, I'm going to be hyper aggressive early on in the season in fab. Um, I think if, if you're in a league like that, I, I'm definitely more, uh, you know, eager to, to try out the hero RB or kind of go lighter at the RB two spot, knowing, you know, I can be aggressive early on and, and pick up uh, a back that we, that we weren't expecting to emerge, you know, right away. Yeah. And in general, you know, just extending that from running back to the rest of your team, the rest of your positions, you want upside on your bench. Um, mm-hmm. Guys like in best ball, I think Jameson Crowder is a good pick for Buffalo, probably going to beat his ADP have a bunch of usable weeks. He's probably not moving the needle in, in, in redraft manage at all. You probably want a bit better. Uh, if you need a starter at wide receiver, he's fine. But if yeah. you don't, like, I don't know like what, what purpose he's serving on your bench. Like you want the lottery tickets. You want to hit a home run. You don't want to take a QB two just to say you have a backup when you're playing Jalen Hurts every week. Like just figure it out when you get to Hurts' bye week. And if not, move on. If Hurts gets injured, you know, figure it out then, but don't, don't be, you know, if we're not devoting a lot of draft resources to running back, like we're going to need those lottery tickets and hope that just one of them pays off. That's all mm-hmm. it's going to take for you to turn like a good team into an absolute powerhouse team. How do you, how do you like to treat players that we know are going to miss the first few weeks, but then have pretty strong upside? You know, I'm, I'm scrolling. I see like someone like Jamison Williams, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, uh, even DeAndre Hopkins, you know, in, in, in best ball, it's, it's kind of easier to construct your roster a specific way to, to feel confident that you can fill in scores, you know, in those early weeks, but in, in redraft, some it's sometimes it's, you know, I, I find it really difficult. It feels like it's just burning a hole in my bench kind of waiting for those guys. And, and then I can't capitalize, uh, you know, as early in the season on, on picking up people off the waiver, curious your thoughts there and, and kind of how you like to approach those players in redraft. Yeah. I think this year I'm a little bit down on those players because, you know, Godwin Hopkins, for example, they have such name recognition that I don't know if they get, you know, boosted, you know, pushed down enough. And we're already talking about how there are a lot of wide receivers that we do like that aren't Mm -hmm. getting drafted as early as they should be. So there's some opportunity costs there. And I'm approaching the draft greedy, right? Which in some ways would be like, okay, well, take Godwin and Hopkins and stash them if you're being greedy. But greed has its limits. And if I'm being greedy by taking any you know elite quarterback, a high-end tight end, I'm also trying to do hero running back, all while being really strong at wide receiver. If I start to push that and saying, well, I'm going to stash Godwin on top of it, 
I might, my team, I might've pushed it too far and made my team a little bit too fragile. So the way I see it right now, unless those guys, you know, really come down in price, I'm probably going to let somebody else, um, take on the risk there and I'm going to go, go elsewhere. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement there. And obviously things change if you have an IR spot or, you know, something along those lines. But again, if, if it's purely just bench, uh, then I, I think sometimes it can be a detriment to hold on to those guys for, you know, the first four or six weeks and, and, and kind of you just lose some, you know, flexibility in the rest of your bench. All right. Well, I hope this first league first look at uh, your home league drafts helped you out, might help you out with keeper stuff too. I do think for a future episode, going to look at keeper questions. So if you send those to me at two hats, one mic on Twitter, or if you're a subscriber to the established run draft kit, you have access to our discord. You can tag me in there. Shoot me some of your keeper questions over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to do a keeper mailbag, uh, Q, uh, podcast. Um, I think that'll be beneficial. And then Mark and I, maybe we'll have Dink join in. Uh, we'll basically do a version of this podcast closer to the season, right? When drafts are really happening, kind of look at what's changed, what hasn't changed and, um, you know, how to, how to really attack that landscape. And if our strategy we've given out here, uh, still works for you, which I have, I have a feeling it's still going to work, but some of the values are going to disappear. We might have to be a little bit more fine tuned with it. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you follow Mark at Mark Dank on Twitter. You can follow me at Two Hats One Mike on Twitter. Also, check out the Establish the Run YouTube channel. Give us a subscribe, a subscribe, a like button that helps us to continue to do these for free. Really appreciate it, and best of luck this season.